0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: I mean, obviously not exactly where we want to be, um, but I think we're seeing some some good signs here. I think the offense is, um, is coming alive and doing well, and we're starting to find a groove there. Uh, a little more consistency and and uh so i think uh probably going into the summer summer months that'll probably only help um and then uh you know just trying to um piece it all together i think we're um we're, we're a better team than what our record is right now but um you know i think that it's just going to take putting the pitching and the hitting together um and i think you know we'll have we'll have better results but um this team, you know, we feel good going up against anybody. Um, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, who, who they are or what their record is. Um, you know, we feel good about um, if we're clicking on all cylinders that we can beat anyone. And so, um, you know, I think the young guys are getting um, getting comfortable up here, and I think they're doing a good job. And you're obviously seeing what you know, Alvy and Beatty and uh, Vientos are capable of. And um, they bring a lot to this lineup, and, and so uh, really excited about those young guys. Good days ahead. Good things ahead. As they're competing their butt off, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of them. It's, you know, giving up that many runs and different things, it could have been very easy to, to pull, pull uh, sand in around you, but they kept competing. We had to, got the tying run to the plate again, and uh, I'm proud of them. We uh, got some things we need to clean up uh, in some areas, and uh, we're gonna start that again Tuesday.
0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Monday, Memorial Day, May the 29th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show it up on Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva Talking Mets No G, Mike Silva Talking Mets You can get me on Instagram, Talking Mets No G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as rising.apple.com. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Hope you have a great day off. Thank you all to those who serve. Uh, Thoughts to those who have lost someone who has served this country. Thank you so much. Always want to take a few minutes to remember those who have given so much for us to be able to do things like the Talking Mets podcast. I do apologize off the bat. I'm suffering from... A little bit of a spring cold. I've had it since you know Thursday, Friday. Feeling a little bit better. Wanted to come to you yesterday. Had taken a bunch of cough medicine and it just wasn't going to happen. And I got to tell you, I was pretty fired up. And, and I know everyone was like on Twitter, yeah, go on the air when you're fired up. But an ir- irrational, emotional version of this show I don't think would give you the kind of content. Because after seeing another starting pitching meltdown. Uh, you know, you get a point where you just had enough, you know, you just had enough. So a lot to talk about as promised, this is the time of the year where we pretty much put the line in the sand and say, Hey, this is who the New York Mets are. And this is where we think they need to, you know, get at to be where we want them to be. And that's a tricky thing this year, much more complicated than in years past. So i will talk a little bit about that. Uh, is Pete Alonso the best home run hitter of all time with all the, hype around Alvarez and certainly had a big weekend in Colorado. Alonzo would another home run in Colorado. There was an article that came out on Fangraphs about a month ago or so. And it's interesting. So I'll revisit Pete with the free agency and, and kind of look into where he's at, because I said, this was a big year. If this guy wants to get paid, how is he going to evolve as a hitter? So I'll bring that up. Uh, the 62 Mets may have some company out in Oakland, Vegas, Oakland, I guess we'll talk about that. I'm really fired up about replay. The thing on Friday in the ninth inning with the umpires, I'll get into that on the way out. And I had a great thought. This is probably never going to happen, but I was watching. I don't know if you guys watch on Apple TV, Ted Lasso, but there was something about the fan interaction and the experience at the uh, the stadium in, in, in England, Premier League, England professional football, that I thought was cool. And we, you know, it's a, it's a pipe dream, but it, make you wonder if it could ever happen here in the United States with the Mets. So on the way out, get a, you'll, you'll get a Ted Lasso reference here on this Memorial Day edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Uh, you saw, you heard the the quotes coming in. You saw the headline. Consistently inconsistent. You heard a lot of positives from Brandon Nimmo and Buck Shul Walter after the Colorado series. And quite honestly, uh, I'm one to come on here and tell you, hey, you know, the sky isn't falling. But one thing I can tell you, looking at the 2023 Mets, as we finish this getting-to-know-you phase that we talk about, and the only thing that I can promise you going forward is that t- this team is consistently inconsistent. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They have all the earmarkings of a 500 team, a team that could win five in a row like they did last week and then go on a, a reasonable road trip, not easy places to play, Chicago, Colorado, I mean, Colorado reared its... That was 1990s Colorado baseball. I thought we were past all that with the humid uh, humidifier, the humidor. Uh, that looked like a 1990s Colorado baseball series on Saturday and Sunday. Lose four out of six uh, and, and really lose uh, two very winnable games. They could have easily slept, swept the Rockies, but you know, bad pitching has done them in. So that's the earmarks of a 500 team. In 2022... The Mets were a consistent team. They were able to get you those four to five runs, which was enough based on their starting pitching and their elite back into the bullpen that if they had that crooked number, you knew they were going to get a good performance out of most of their starters. You knew you had a, an elite closer at the end of the ballgame and the bridge, which was three to six outs, was good enough to lead to Diaz. You knew the Mets were going to win more times than not. Saturday night, that's a game in 2022, the Mets win. And at times this year, you have seen that. They had the 14-7 start, which we knew they didn't feel like a 14-7 team. And then they had the bad stretch against some mad teams like Detroit and Cincinnati, uh, Colorado in that. And then they win five in a row against the Rays, the best team in baseball, the Indians. And then they come back and have this frustrating road trip. And what really... You could put all the positives that Nimmo put out there, that you heard Buck put out there, all that stuff. And quite honestly, the the reality of the situation is that if you continue to get what I'm going to call childish starting pitching performance, I mean, little league pitching performances – not once every every five days, not once in a while, not twice out of every five days, sometimes three. And if Volander or Scherzer are not on four out of five days in a week, you have no chance of winning. You have no chance of winning. And yeah, you're going to feel good that Alvarez is hitting the cover off the ball and is developing in hopefully to an elite offensive catcher and surprisingly a decent defensive catcher. Alonzo on an all-time home run pace. Nimmo continuing to be an elite home run hitter. You know, you have all that positive. You're hoping that the veterans are rounding to form, that Lindor is not a below-league average hitter, and he's going to continue to to get better as the year goes on, that Marte is going to get healthier, that McNeil is going to get better as the year goes on and, and hit more like he did last year than some hybrid between 2021 and 2022. You know, you could get all the offense you want. You could feel great about what you saw in Colorado. But the reality is, you can't win diddly with that kind of pitching. And what's so frustrating, so frustrating about all this, is unlike a couple of weeks ago, when I talked about the back of the baseball card, I don't see a back of the baseball card for Tyler McGill. I don't see a back-of-the-baseball card. You don't know what Kodai Singh is going to give you. David Peterson? Jeez. I mean, I don't think he's going to— Personally, he doesn't deserve to see a big league field. I mean, his start in Syracuse the other day is another version again of the same garbage. Six strikeouts, what, four innings, six runs. I mean, you're seeing the same thing against AAA lineups. So if he can't do it against a AAA lineup, I know he dominated the start before. But if you're showing the same inconsistency in AAA against AAA lineups, those lineups are worse than the worst team that you're going to face in the big leagues. Maybe Oakland. Take them out of the equation. Maybe Oakland. We'll get to them later. So you look at that. Jose Buto has got a 70 RA. Lucchese's pitching pretty well down there. Maybe he's an option. I know is a guy that we look at as possibly... uh a reinforcement, a trade deadline reinforcement. We'll get to what this team needs. But when you look at the back end of that rotation, all the way into Kodai Singa, three out of five days at least, you are taking the magic eight ball, and you have no idea what you're going to get. And you're more than likely, since the start of the season, get three to four innings, four or five runs, fall behind. They fall behind nightly. You pull into the lower leverage parts of the bullpen, you burn them out. So you get a guy like Negosic now, who, you know, second time around the league, you know, whatever, you know, gets bombed. You're probably over overusing, over warming up the Leones, the Negosics, the Tommy Hunters, things like that. You have no consistency. And perfect example is you're gonna lose games eleven ten. You're gonna lose games ten seven. In a lot of ways, what happened against Cleveland a week ago, the 10-9 win uh, that's a mirage. Those are not the, even though those were fun wins, the wins against Tampa, the wins against Cleveland, they were good character building wins. They were also warning signs that you can't win consistently like this. Teams that make the playoffs, forget about championship teams. We're not even talking about that. Teams that make the playoffs don't win consistently 10 to 9. The formula is simple. You've seen the stats. Here's the ironic thing when Mets starters go six innings, I don't think they've lost all year. It's very rarely that they've gone six innings. They haven't lost all year. You've got a closer that's not Diaz, but should be able to navigate the ninth inning. You, Even though the bullpen, there's some questions as you get into the Brighams and the Raleys and guys like that. You should be able to get six outs out of them. You need to get 18 quality outs out of your starters. You're not asking for a lot here. I'm not asking for them all to be Scherzer and Verlander. And Verlander hasn't even been that good. He's on below league average so far to start the season. There is no way you could walk away from this weekend, and I know Buck's got to support his team, and Nimmo's the eternal optimist, and feel anything good about the upcoming summer months. Because what I see is a maddening team that's going to drive you nuts, break your heart, and underachieve because the fundamental part of what they were built on, starting pitching, has turned trash. And the bar is not even that high. I mean, look, Carrasco, Taiwan Walker from last year. It's not a, the highest bar in the world. You're looking for six innings, three runs. You knew they were going to get pounded a couple times against good teams. The Bassett-Senga thing we've talked about. You're going to see Walker this week. You're going to see Bassett. And we'll see how that turns out. Let's see how those decisions are made. I warned everybody in the offseason. I knew it was going to cost a lot of money. But a team that's going to win now, yeah, you want to bring in Senga fine, but you had to put him at the back end of that rotation. He wasn't Tanaka. He wasn't Nomo coming in. He wasn't the finished product. And I'm not here to yell and scream, but I'm just going to tell you at this point, I have no patience. I mean, where is the development of any of these starters? You do, and as I said I've been a big Jeremy Hefner fan. You have to start questioning the entire organization's pitching development. There is no pitchers that could come up and give you any kind of outing. Maybe Luke Casey. At this point, McGill probably should be in AAA. Peterson already is. I talked about an opener a couple of weeks ago. You might want to start thinking about that. Maybe Casey goes into that. This is a problem. This is bad. And this isn't something that's just gonna fix itself. What makes you think that McGill is gonna be any more than what he is? Think he's gonna get better? Carrasco. Maybe Carrasco gets better. There was some hope. You're relying on a on a on a late 30s guy that has bone chips in his elbow that even last year when he was good and won 15 games, struggled against good offensive teams, and it's uh, uh, above 500 teams. Now, I promise it's not all going to be bad today. I'm not going to be angry the whole day. Before we go forward, I do want to share with you guys, though, another great offer that I have for you from Caesars Sportsbook. Caesars Sportsbook. Remember the, the Caesars uh, section over at City Field? Well, we're bringing back Old City Field here, Caesars Sportsbook. Mets fans in New York, we have a great offer that you don't want to miss. New customers can get their first bet on Caesars up to $1,250. All you have to do is use our code TALKINGMETSFULL. Remember, don't put the G in TALKING. It's TALKING. You do this at signup. If you sign up with our code TALKINGMETSFULL, you will not only have your first bet insured, but you will also be directly supporting the podcast. What better way to support me than to get involved with one of our sponsors? So if you haven't signed up for Caesar Sportsbook, join with our code Talk in Mets Full and drop your first bet. The offer is only available for new customers who are 21 and over and physically present in New York. Please, as always, I ask you, gamble responsibly. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 8778-Hope NY or text Hope NY, which is 467 369 See the podcast description for full terms. Thank you again for supporting Talking Mets. Got to take a little bit of a break there. Get our sponsor in. So, look, we know what the problem is. But is there really a solution? And let's face it. This is a simple thing. Six innings, three runs. Mets probably win and get back to who they were in 2022. But it's complicated to fix. The only thing you could hope for, now that you know what the 2023 Mets are, which are a consistently inconsistent team due to their starting pitching, and I haven't even gotten to the issues with of the offense and you know proving bullpen is something that every team has to do, that's probably the easiest out of the three things. The offense is is a little trickier because you're relying on developing players, but let's just stick with the pitching. So how do you what does this look like going forward? Well, you have to have Quintana come back. I mean, the whole staff and kind of that stabilizer, that Chris Bassett that is no longer here, that was supposed to be Quintana. They didn't want to spend the money to bring Bassett in. Maybe they had co- concerns about Bassett in New York. Maybe they had concerns about the pitch clock and Bassett. All fair things. Quintana was supposed to be that veteran number three that could provide that. Hasn't thrown a pitch yet. Probably won't see him until the All-Star break. That's my opinion. And then you say the four and five. Okay, you got Carrasco. But, you know, I don't even know if McGill at this point is an acceptable. I mean, you can't. You get four runs. I know it's Colorado. You get four runs and a 6-2 lead, and you give it right back. Now, I know Marte may have been able to catch that ball. Maybe the game is a little bit different. But, you know, this is not the first time we've seen this non-competitive outings. It was the same in Chicago earlier in the the road trip. Peterson and McGill have killed this team. Everything they gave them last year when DeGrom and Scherzer were out seems like a mirage. And, you know, you want to start with Hefner. You want to go F-driveline. You want to, you know, question. I mean, the Mets' starting pitching development has been absent for a long time. You take away the DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, Harvey, Wheeler era. All those guys are gone. Since 2016, okay, you want to say Gazelman and Lugo came up? Fine. I'll put 2016. What have the Mets developed since then of any quality? You want to take the starters out because that's harder? Fine. What about the bullpen? Nothing. Nothing. Not a bullpen arm, not a starter. You Want to see Chris Flexen? Well, he went to Korea to f- figure himself out. He didn't figure himself out with the Mats. And even he's not that great. Nothing. Budo's a mess. McGill's a mess. Peterson has regressed. You bring in these geniuses from driveline. I've seen the staff. They have some of the... They're walking at a, uh, with some of the worst teams in baseball that walks are up there. I mean, just bring it up. Go to, go to Baseball Reference. They have one of the worst ERAs. They're in the bottom third of the league. They walk more than almost anybody else other than Colorado and Washington. You're hanging out with second division performances. And you want to say that I'm supposed to feel good because you scored 17 runs in two days in Colorado? I'm sorry. This is scary, bad problem. And you, you know, if you want to spend the summer getting excited over Mauricio coming up and the development of Alvarez and Beatty and get excited about the kids, Vientos, I get that. I told you a couple weeks back, it's not going to be a lost season no matter what because you are developing what looks to be a really interesting core of homegrown offensive players that if you sign Pete Alonso, you're going to have these guys together for a long time at least the next five years. But with Scherzer and Verlander on this roster, the window was the next two to three years to really do something and to use one of those years as a development year without seriously contending. Because right now, I don't care what the standings say. And yes, I understand with the wild card scenario, they could still make the playoffs with 85, 86, 87, 88 wins because I could still see them putting enough together to get there. You're not winning a short series of any significance with this pitching all right you could say Mike and the McGill and, and guys like that are not going to pitch the playoffs and you could get away with three inning starts of the playoffs and bullpen games I get that but in the end, I know baseball and I have principles that I live by pitching defense critically important without those two things, you really can't go very far in this game and they and and and, and you know they don't have the pitching Losing Diaz was a killer. You can muster a bullpen. You want to go out and go look after an Arldis Chapman and sign a vet, you know, trade for a veteran that's that's pitching on a bad team. You know, you want to go into, you know, the depths of, you know, in August of the second division clubs. They'll have someone they'll give to you. It's probably going to cost you. I mean, look, uh, the the Cubs wanted a Matthew Allen level prospect for Robertson last year. I mean, that's how crazy stuff has gotten. You can't win. There's no positives with consistently inconsistent teams. There's nothing that makes me believe it's going to change either. You're going to tell me, Seng, okay, he might improve, but you don't think he's going to be inconsistent? Of course he is. He's developing. He's a 30-year-old rookie developing. Almost not much different than McGill. He just got better stuff. And I get it. He's from another country, and he's developing to the – all the things I told you, the culture, everything. But that's what a fifth – that's what you needed out of a fifth starter. You're asking him to be a linchpin between the Hall of Famers and the back-end guys, the kids trying to develop. Where is the pitching development? And nobody talks about it. This has been going on for almost 10 years. What is the philosophy? You want to pin it on Hefner? You want to pin it on the player development guys? You want to pin it on – the, 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 the scouting and development guys, there's a lot of people in the last 10 years you could pin it on. There's something fundamentally flawed that you have an organization that developed, maybe they traded for some of it, they traded for two of those guys, Wheeler and um, Syndergaard, but they developed them, had five really good, arguably, Top, you know, could pitch at top of the rotation level, all five of them starters, at one point in their rotation. You Put Michael Fulmer in there before injuries. He was up there too before he got traded for Cespedes. And now you haven't got anything in the better part of seven years. Nothing. Nothing that could contribute. You have to go out and spend $13, $14, 15000000 million to get six innings, three runs from Kitana? You can't develop anybody like that? You know, a couple of years ago, you had to go out and get Rich Hill, 40-something years old, to get, you know, five innings, two runs. Because you can't bring anybody up. And at this point, you know, McGill, Dylan Bundy, is there any difference? I've never been a huge McGill guy, to be frank. So, the, you know, this organization has to take some hard looks. What's going on with the pitching? It's gotten worse from a year ago. Yes, there's different personnel. And I brought it up in the winter. I got a question. What's the driveline impact? Because all I hear from drive line is that you go out, increase your velocity, and go win some uh, contest at the carnival throwing hard. Last I looked, none of that wins pennants. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal about how teams are starting to say, hey, you know, we need to focus on pitchers that throw strikes. Oh, Wow. Wow. There is a revolutionary idea. I mean, there's so – and I keep hearing how many smart people there are in baseball. But these smart people have taken really basic concepts and turned them to crap over the last decade and a half. And now we're swinging back because they realize, you know, guys who walk 4-5 per 9, even if they strike out 12, are really not necessarily good pitchers. Traffic on the base paths, even before the new rules and the pickoffs on all the bigger bases, was never a good thing. Now it's even more insidious. So, are there solutions? Can the Mets get better? We're going to take a quick break and come back. But I'll tell you, here's the problem. All the solutions have to come from within. You have to rely on guys playing to the back of the baseball card on the offensive end. You have to rely on the development of some of the pitchers, which has been non-existent and history says hasn't happened and won't happen. And you have to kind of hope that the league stays and the Mets stay in the muck while they figure all this out so that they can make a run late. All those things are not situations that you thought you'd be talking about here on Memorial day, but we know who the Mets of 2023 three are consistently inconsistent. And I don't know if I have a pathway for you to change that. I think that's what our season that we're going to be talking about is going to look like for the next few months. And I think there's going to be more series in Colorado. I think there's going to be more homestands like Tampa and Cleveland. And I think there's going to be more times where you feel really good about this team. And then I think in an instant, you're going to feel really bad about them. So buckle up. What you see is what you get. Don't delude yourself into believing that this could get better with this starting pitching. There is not enough that Alvarez could do. There's nothing Vientos could do. Mauricio's not coming up here and giving you six innings, two runs. I've been telling you that for weeks. This is a consistently inconsistent team that has to hope that their Hall of Famers become Hall of Famers and then you roll the magic eight ball the other three days. And you're probably going to have to outslug teams a little bit more than you like and I'm not sure that's the kind of offense even with the kids that they have. So let's take a quick break. When I come back, we'll talk more about what we're going to look for over the next few weeks as what does this team need to continue to get better and improve and maybe, you know, That's about as angry as you're going to get me here. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I was just really direct. I wanted to get a more level-headed scenario going. So, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. And I see everybody on Twitter and I see people talking about the Mets bullpen. And I'm sorry. Out of all the things that we're going to be looking at in this segment going forward, the bullpen is the easiest thing to solve, really. Look, last year you got Michael Givens, you know, you could go out. I mean, they were trying to get David Robertson. Look at the Phillies. They got David Robertson. If you have enough depth of prospects and you can maybe sell somebody on the upside of a, a lower-level prospect, you could go out and get yourself a reliever. I'm using Aroldis Chapman as an example because he's closing games or setting up games for Kansas City. Seems to be rounding back into form. Not a perfect guy. Guy that walks a ton of guys. Was a little kerosene on the fire later in his career. A lot of mileage on on that arm with the Yankees. But that's a perfect guy. I mean, he's as close to what you're going to get as a dual closer, which is what you tried to do this offseason with Robertson and Diaz before Diaz went down. And uh, that, to me, is a given. We knew that was going to be the case. Improving the bullpen is always something that any team in contention could do down the, strats, down the stretch. Here's the problem. As we go forward, what do we need to see from this guy, from these guys? We know they're consistently inconsistent. Well, Marte and Canna will start there, veterans, component player veterans, who are significantly below their career norms. Now, Marte, maybe some of that is understandable as he rounds back into form from the double hernia surgery. Worst case scenario is he shot, and that has precipitated a decline that was un- unknown to the Mets when they signed him. And maybe they got the last juice out of that body last year as he played hurt and played very well with, you know, a lot of pain. Ken is a little bit more peculiar. He's a guy that, you know, you always figured he wasn't sexy, but he was a guy that grinded out at bats, you know, was able to pop some home runs, get on base, you know, good veteran in the, you know, in the clubhouse, and you have to wonder if the pitch clock has taken a guy that's a laborious at bat, a thinking man's at bat, and made him not who he is anymore. He's basically a backup outfielder at this point, which is not what the Mets thought they were getting. They thought they were getting a guy who was a good contact hitter, solid defense, good veteran, 120 OPS+. Plus. And that is uh, that is a problem. You know, you want to talk about Lindor and his inconsistency and how, you know, is he selling out power and run production for overall production? I don't know. I, I, if I know any better, and this is me playing a junior shrink, with the offense struggling over the course of the first two months and with the expectation of this team, we saw it a little bit in 2021. Lindor cares, and Lindor's trying to do more than he he, he can, and he's trying to take on more than he can. I don't think Lindor is a below-league average hitter. Uh, We're not going to get into the Lindor debate. Uh, He still hits for power. He had another home run yesterday. He's still driving in runs. Um, But he's not consistently good at the plate like you'd want. He's not giving you what he gave you through a big chunk of 2022, which was really good offense consistently. And he seems to be up and down. So, you know, really... The problem with Canna, Marte, Lindor, and you even want to put Carrasco at the back of the rotation. The only thing you could hope for, because you can't replace all of them. You can't trade all of them away and, and get similar, better versions. You need them, those guys to play for the back of the baseball card. You very unlikely will consistently get six innings, three runs from Senga and McGill. And I'll even put Carrasco in this scenario in there too. You got to hope Quintana returns, and you got to hope he's Chris Bassett. I, you know, I'm not sure it's realistic to go out and unless you're willing to trade a Vientos or a Mauricio, get yourself a real high-quality starter. Now, will they be any better than McGill and, P- and and Peterson? Like, at this point, McGill and Peterson are A players. So if you got a Kyle Gibson type, I'm not saying Kyle Gibson, but that type of starter, that's an upgrade. Like kind of what the Phillies did last year. I mean, the Mets are very similar to last year's Phillies. Underachieving, good bones head-scratching performances from some guys, and, you know, not out of it, but you don't feel like they're in it. And I guess the other part about all this, when it comes to the offense and some consistency to the offense, is where does Mauricio play into all this? So you heard that Mauricio, I mean, he's hitting the tar out of the ball. Offensively, he's done everything that you could possibly have asked at AAA defensively, it seems like he's still working on things. He could play short. He could play second. Listen, if he could develop into any kind of adequate defensive player, the fact that you have some kind of backup middle infielder that could hit, that's not a Guillaume defense glove guy, contact guy, that actually could be impactful offensively. Similar to the kind of players see the Dodgers kind of have, the Chris Taylor types that they've had over the years. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. Now, I think uh, uh, McNeil's a good defense, you know, borderline gold glover. Do you want to move McNeil to the outfield permanently? I think that flexibility will play into that. You could also give Lindor a day off. I think Mauricio plays into, do you upgrade from the cannon and get yourself a component corner outfielder? I don't know how real. again, you saw last year how difficult it was to upgrade the team without harming the farm system. I mean, Billy Epler, and this is where the Billy Epler criticism to me is not necessarily fair. The owner even put it out on Twitter that he's expecting a sustainable farm system to supplement the spending. He said it yesterday on Twitter. So Epler has to go out and prove the roster in an environment where Everybody knows the Mets need to win. Everybody hates the owner because he's revolutionizing the sport in a way with his spending and his interaction with fans. And you think they're going to give him even component players like a Darren Ruff or a vocal back? Those guys cost them not a ton, but more than probably I, at, even at the time when those deals were made, I was like, Ugh, that's a little rich for those kind of names. It turns out they're right. Holderman would be a very good addition to this bullpen. I liked Holderman, but they needed a, a bat. Because Dom Smith wasn't cutting the mustard. In a lot of ways, they're doing with Tommy Pham what they did with J.D. Davis last year. Pham is starting to produce a little bit. You saw him have a good series in Colorado. And that hard, those hard-hit balls are finally finding holes. Because it's like, you know, you can lead the league in hard-hit balls, but if they're ground balls right at the shortstop, what does it matter? An out is an out. So the real problem here... Is that this is not an easy solution? You don't want to blow up the farm because you don't really have enough right now to to trade from in the farm. You're seeing what a thin farm system in terms of current um, developed prospects can do to a starting rotation. They are, you know, Dylan Bundy's in that on that AAA roster. Is even on there anymore? Is even an option because they don't have guys that come up and give them starts that are acceptable. And, you know, you could go out, you could trade for a bullpen arm, maybe get yourself a corner outfielder, you know, somebody could play center field better than Marte, because I don't think that that's fair to put him in when Nimmo needs a, a blow, but you're you're in the back of this cab, you're sitting there, and basically what I'm telling you is, you got to sit back and watch this thing unfold, because I have no idea if you're ever going to get any kind of consistency out of any of these pitchers. And I'm not sure I'm ready to say that Marte and Canna are going to hit to the back of their baseball card. I'm very confident in Lindor because I think there are other things at play that we didn't factor in going into the season, like the pitch clock and like physical decline. And even with the rotation, Quintana would be huge. You put yourself a veteran at number three, you slide uh, Senga to number four, Maybe number five if Carrasco steps up and shows you more of who he was last year. And I could live with that because I think you could get six innings, three runs out of those guys. You need it more consistently. You cannot be dipping into this bullpen every every day in the third or fourth inning three times a week. But I can't promise you that. I mean, everything that we built 2022 on, which was this unsexy, boring team that you guys all complained about but I loved – which was six innings, two runs, six innings, three runs, a crooked number on offense, elite bullpen, You know, work the pitcher, get him out of the game. You're not seeing that the same way this year. Was it an anomaly? Not sure about that. I think some of it plays into what we talked about in spring training. There's a huge amount of expectations on this team. There's a target on their back. That plays into a lot. I think there's a, not the big reason, but part of the reason. They're getting good pitching every day. We're probably not talking about this. I'm not talking elite pitching. I'm talking about... League, you know... Quality start. Because you and I could both agree... A quality start... Is... Is not exactly uh, sexy. Six inning, three runs is not like, you know... Blowing the world away. And that's what a fifth starter should give you. That's a 4.50 ERA. So... That's the problem, guys. I wish I could give you this next phase of Mets 2023 as, hey, these are things that could happen, and they are achievable. Do I think they're achievable? Yes. Do I think they could happen? Not sure. I think it's a coin flip on some of this. I think it's a 50-50 coin flip. And I think it's going to be an interesting summer, but I think it's going to be a frustrating summer. And I think a fan base that has this toxicity to it a fan base that has created this Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs yoke of a curse to it is going to be difficult to deal with, and I think the the players are going to hear it. I'm not sure attendance will be impacted, but I could see attendance impacted at times. And uh, it'll be interesting because this is a big home stand. You know, you got above five hundred and then you fell back. You got above five hundred, then you fell back. You really can't as you head into June, now you're post memorial day. You can't be messing around with getting a five hundred if you're serious. You just can't. You gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta start going towards that ten over. That's the first barometer, ten over. And now a goal to me would be to get there by the all star break, six weeks away. You know, a lot of six and four ten game stretches. Is that realistic? If you get good starting pitching, it is. If you get bad starting pitching three out of five days, it's not unless you think you can outslug people because of Alvarez and Beatty. And and let's face it, with the offense, Alvarez has done really well the last few weeks. Pete has been good all year. Nimmo has been good all year, short of a little bad stretch. Everybody else hasn't really been that good. And it's an offense that at times has been really held up by Nimmo and Alonso before Alvarez joined the party. Everybody else is finding themselves. Now, this at least history with a lot of those guys, whereas the the pitchers there's not. But nothing here is consistent. Everything is fluid, and it's almost like start stop. It's a cl- it's been a clunky season, where everything started and and flowed last year, with a few hiccups mainly at the end of the year. Nothing has flowed this year, and I think that's where everybody's frustrated. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back. Fangraphs, you know, Pete Alonso is on a 60-home run pace. Fangraphs asked weeks ago if he was the best home run hitter of all time. They talk about what makes Pete a great home run hitter. I'm going to tell you why I think Pete is a great home run hitter. We know that. That's no news. But some of the things they tout I think may hold him back overall offensively. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Alonso drives one out to left field. Back goes Pofar. looks up, and it's out of here. Pete Alonzo, 20 home runs. Most home runs any Met has ever had before the end of May. Alonzo hits his 20th on the 27th of May, and the Mets are on the board. It's now 6-1. we're back you know one of the criticisms of the mets forever here since buck and billy epler took over was that they really don't hit home runs it's funny back in 2016 after they won the pennant the only way that team won in 2016 was home runs that was sandy also's thing hit a home run and the percentage of the games you win is whatever it was at the time you know 60 percent, whatever it was and that was a feast or famine type team. You had Granderson and Wright and and um, Struble, Cabrera, Cespedes, so on and so forth. So that team, you know, they'd score four runs, but it would be a couple of blasts. There would be no manufacturing any kind of offense. It was one of the criticisms of that team that year. They made the wild card. This team now with Alvarez starting to show prodigious power along with Pete Alonso. I mean, Alvarez is on pace to have a 30 home runs if he plays, you know, 400 somewhat plate appearances. I mean, both of these guys with their power are guys that legitimately you could see have 40 home runs each in a season. You know, a real punch in the middle of the lineup, whether they put Alvarez number two and Pete in cleanup and how they played out and split them out, that's for them to figure out. And lineups don't make any sense to me anymore. Like how I built lineups growing up watching teams in the 80s, uh, in 90s, they don't build lineups like that now. I mean, if you if you want to talk about the Mets lineup and we get the, our calculator, which I didn't even get into, I was going to bring that up, but we have so many other things to talk about. You know, the the best lineups to score the most runs is this wacky stuff that you know, has Vogelback leading off or something like that because of on-base percentage. But, um, you know, the Mets now have two prodigious home run hitters. Now, Fangraphs, and it was uh, Ben Clemens, and this is, well, this is back on April 24th, so I think this was back when the Mets were still on the West Coast. Um, they talk about, is Pete Alonso the greatest home run hitter of all time? And they talk about him being a specialist, a specialist in the sense that he's a prodigious home run hitter. And the things that they tout as reasons why he's good at what he does are actually things I wanted him to improve upon and talked about when we, in the offseason, when we were losing you know, that content, that dead content time, and we were like, hey, everybody's talking about an extension for Pete Alonso. Here's what it looks like, and here's what I think he needs to do to get to that thirty million dollar a year mark, which I don't think is out of the question. I know people have thought I'm crazy, but the more this season plays out, and a, you know this guy hits sixty home runs this year, uh, which is reasonable is a reasonable thing, regardless of how the team does. The more likely it is that he's going to get, you know, potentially be in that pantheon and ask for that. So they talk about the fact that he doesn't walk and strike out a lot, that he makes contact, that he lifts the ball. He hits the ball hard. And what's interesting is that I don't mind the home runs. You know, Pete right now this year is fourth and wins above replacement for all first basemen behind Freddie Freeman, Yandy Diaz, and Paul Goldschmidt. Um, but those are actually the guys. There are components of those three guys, um, specifically when it comes to on-base percentage and average. And I saw last year, I thought Pete Alonzo with two strikes – was going the other way in RBI situations. He was, fo- I'm not saying he's swinging for the fences all the time, but the approach I think he took, which going the other way, I haven't seen it quite as much this year. The fact that he doesn't walk is interesting because he hasn't had much protection in the lineup. So maybe part of that is he's felt the need to drive and runs because he didn't think the guy, you know, Vogelback's been, can has been his protection. Maybe that plays into it, so I'll put the walks aside. It's possible that that is something that would be part and parcel to a better lineup around him with Beatty developing, with Alvarez maybe getting into that mix. But I'd like to see him walk at the same rate that you see a Judge, a Goldschmidt, a Yandy Diaz, guys who have 400 on-base percentages. I think Pete is on the verge of potentially being a great hitter. He is a very good hitter, but a great hitter. If he continues to focus on what you saw last year, which is going the other way, which should increase his batting average, get it up to like the 280, 290, maybe like a goldsmith, maybe go 300 and then be able to, and maybe this is, you know, a baseball professional scout. Maybe somebody will disagree with me on this because, Hey, if he's a good at going out and getting a pitch and driving it, isn't that better than a walk? You know, there's always that criticism. You know, do you, you know, an OPS? What a guy w- walks at a high level, like a Vogelback, is that as powerful as a guy like Alonzo that's driving the ball out of the ballpark? But I think eventually all this evens out. And you saw Pete go through a little bit of a rough stretch before he got hot again the last couple of weeks. I think when you walk, when you become that more complete hitter, um, you know, that's how you become elite, and that's how you get paid into that next pantheon. Now he may get paid regardless. But to me, what they're touting in this article is that Pete focuses on lifting the ball, hitting the ball hard, and making contact. By making contact in a way that drives the ball over the wall, I think could get you into trouble and could get you, if the ball starts to not go over the wall, could potentially get you into slumps. The version of Pete Alonso that I liked last year uh, was one, and you know he's his production this year— is actually slightly better. His OPS at this point is 910. It's higher than it was a year ago. But last year he hit 271, which was the highest of his career. He had the highest on base percentage of his career at 352. This year his slugging is actually uh not as high as twenty nineteen when he came up, but uh it's it's slightly below. I mean, but really Pete's a guy who hits a home run or singles, he's really not a lot of doubles in there. It's really interesting if you look at it. He's got right now forty nine hits, twenty of them are home runs, one is a triple, one is a double. Twenty five half of his hits are for extra bases, but only four doubles, a bunch of singles. So I don't even think like he's rounded into the best version of Pete that you have seen. And yeah, he's gonna hit at least forty somewhat home runs, even if he he slows down, he's gonna drive in. 100 runs. He's got 46 RBIs already. He's going to drive in 100 runs. And we're touting him as a great home run hitter. I mean, maybe not, and they bring up Sosa McGuire over Span. And let's face it, since 2019, he has the most home runs. The only caveat there is Trout's been hurt a little bit since then, and Aaron Judge in 2019 played a little over 100 games. He probably would be past Alonzo if he had played a full season and wasn't hurt that year. But look, he's every bit of the right to be in the same conversation with Judge, with Trout, in terms of a home run, prodigious home runs. So what I'd like to see... See, I think he's having a good year. But I'd like to see more of last year's Pete Alonso. Because with the improved power, if you can believe it, I think he's hitting ball with more power than ever before. And he's better than he was in 2019, where he struck out a ton. I'd like to see more of a complete hitter. Now, maybe that will come, like I said, with... Improved lineup around him, but to me, the home run is not—he's not Dave Kingman, and I was surprised to see that Dave Kingman hit twenty home runs faster than Pete in nineteen seventy-six. I knew he had a big year hitting home runs, and then he slumped, but that was interesting. Pete was—he was two games ahead of Pete Alonso. Um, I'm not saying there's warning signs, but there are things about his offensive game, and you saw it up until the Colorado series. At about two twenty-five, he's a better hitter than that. Look, I'm all for 55 home runs, but if you're going to hit 225, you know I think he, I think my vision is he's better overall hitter than that. Paul Goldschmidt is his next bar. Look, he's he's a, a, you know, Paul Konerko was like the first comp that we talked about when he came up. He's clearly as good, if not better, than Paul Konerko. Now it's can you get into that? You know, those guys that are above him. Take Yandy Diaz, who's having a career year out, solid hitter, but maybe he's a little bit. Uh, playing a little bit better than, than than normal. Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman both have components of their game that I believe, if it's possible, that's the next push for Pete. Higher batting average, high on base percentage. Now, will that sacrifice power? I'm not sure that has to be the case. I think it comes with patience, maybe better protection in lineup, pitch recognition. Um, sometimes Pete likes to get anxious and, and chase pitches. Maybe the pitch clocks playing into that a little bit. Not sure. He was another guy, laborious at bats like Canna. But I find it interesting that Fangraphs talks about him in this best home run hitter of all time. But the principles that have become good principles of a complete hitter in the Moneyball era: walks, um, you know, cont- No, not less contact. Uh, not more contact. Less contact are uh, actually frowned upon a little bit. So I'm not going to get into the algorithm. You could go over to Fangraphs and look it up. But to me, Pete Alonso is putting the Mets in a situation where you're probably going to have to pay him 30 I'm telling you, this guy's going to get $30 million a year. That's the number he's going to want. But I do think there's one last hill to climb. We know who Pete Alonso is. Every year, he's going to give you 40 home runs, 110 RBIs play every day. That's a big deal. Every day at first base. I know it's not the most demanding position, but he plays every day. I mean, Buck Schulwalter was talking about how he told him in spring training he only wants to DH six times a year, once a month. Doesn't even want to DH, wants to play the field. But can he get to the next level offensively and be in that Freddie Freeman-Goldschmidt conversation? Let's see what the year brings. I feel he's taking a little step back on the completeness of his offensive game this year. I'm willing to give him a mulligan because of the situation around him offensively. But I think that's, I'd be more impressed with that than him hitting 62 home runs. I would sacrifice 10 home runs for a more complete offensive player. Would you? Something to think about. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. Final thoughts. You're listening to Talk About the Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. We like to look back at Mets history on the Talking Mets podcast. Like, why was Davey Johnson the perfect manager for the Mets during their 1980s renaissance? Eric Sherman, author of Davey Johnson's book, My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond, tells us.
2: And then he um, went into the Mets organization and worked his way up and uh, really got to know the minor league system and what the Mets had very, very well. Um, you know, and he was managing. Doc, when he was just a kid, you know, like 17 years old, uh, you know, he managed Daryl Strawberry, of course. And, I mean, Davey really knew what the heck the Mets had in that minor league system. Uh, Lenny Dykstra was another one, and Wally Backman, who wasn't the most talented second baseman, but he just loved the way that he played. So really, he knew what they had, and so by the time he came up to manage in 84, he was the perfect pilot for that ball club. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he brought up Dwight Gooden a year before Frank Frank Cashin wanted him up. And, you know, his relationship with Frank is a whole other thing, which he really gets into in the book. I mean, Mets fans will devour that. Um, that very odd relationship he had with Frank. <laughs> Let's just say that for now.
0: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com com alright we're back final thoughts so smorgasbord of things and what I'm going to try to do as we go forward with this show the last segment I'm going to try to throw a, a quick round of just random thoughts you know for you to walk away with try to you know usually the outro is me just talking about hey the schedule's this looking at that and whatever who cares you guys can figure it out i want to give you some things to think about maybe not long opinion based things but some things that are random thoughts related to the mets but maybe also baseball when it comes down to it so the first thing here is the 62 mets and the Oakland Athletics so the A's are maybe moving to Vegas maybe not it's it's ironic how a an anti-business climate like Oakland now all the politicians that created the anti business climate are upset that the A's are moving out of the anti business climate because they can't sustain their business. Different story. Not to show for it. But shame. Oakland has history. Last thing I'd like to I, I don't like team movement. Because I believe in history and consistency. And I believe that, you know, um, you know, look, we here in New York, we experienced it with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Giants. You know, you lose you never neglect there's a generation of people that never let go of that history. You you break the hearts of loyal fans, you can't just tell me they're going to say, Oh, I'll root for the A's in Vegas. They will, but it's not the same. So, uh, and I agree with people who say that Vegas is potentially a tourist destination. It will be like Miami and you have the same kind of problems after the initial charm of the ball club being out there and not have a loyal base, but have a transient, uh, road team almost like, like Miami has other fans coming in, especially New Yorkers when the Mets, the Yankees play down there. But, I was wondering, and it was brought up, I think, by the booth. I think Gary Cohen brought it up with Keith. That um, if the A's this year, who are bad. I mean, and we talked about it when the Mets went out there to Oakland in April. How bad their pitching is. How this is one of the worst teams I've seen in a long, long time. Really long time. It's a really bad team. They had a couple of interesting players, but there's not much there. Especially on the pitching side. If they were to, I think they're on pace to win 32 or 33 games. If they were to break the 62 Mets record of futility, is that a good thing? And it's interesting because the identity of the Mets, which I've been critical of, is this lovable loser, this underdog thing. And they're not. that's not the moniker that going forward they want. They want to be sustainable, professional, hardworking, top-notch organization that people want to come to, that has this history, this charming history, but you want to grow up from it. At some point, you have to grow up as an individual, the charm that you had as a teenager is not so charming. When you're in your fifties, you want to grow up from that. And I think the Mets are at that point. So, and I know that's part of history and I think they've held on to that because even though the Mets were bad in 62, they were a lovable bad because I think everybody to my point earlier was still pining for the Dodgers, and the Giants, and they lost such a big part of their sports lives that when the Mets came, it didn't matter if they won or lost. And then you had 69, but at some point, I don't know if being the moniker for futility is good for a brand. So I'm willing to give it to Oakland. I don't think it'll have the same impact that the 62 Mets do. Because I think the 62 Mets within the Mets culture will always be referred to as futility. I don't think anyone's going to say the 23 A's. Um, but I, you know, I don't think this is like the 72 Dolphins where... The, the players who are left that are still alive are going to pop champagne if the A's win 41 games. So that's something interesting. I don't have a definitive answer on that. Be curious. Talkin' Mets. Mike Silva Talk Mets. No. Uh, Mike Silva No, G. Let me know your thoughts. I'm kind of ready to give up the 62 Mets thing. I'm ready to see somebody else have futility. I think it's a different type of futility because it's not an expansion team. Maybe some of it's intentional. And the politics between the move and some of the reasons why it's happening, uh, the economics of the game, uh, so many differences. So that's number one. Number two, I have no problem with the replay system. You have your challenge, you use it. What I do have a problem with is what happened on Friday in Colorado. So if you remember, there was the ground ball bobbled by Escobar, rolled out into left field, Lindor grabbed it through to second. I think it was McMahon of the Rockies got tagged out. Big play. Uh, I think that was the second out of the inning. Instead of being bases loaded, it's first and third now. The tie runs out of the plate. Colorado had no challenges left because they had tried to challenge a Pete Alonso hit by pitch. The umpires got together, and I guess it was the Rockies, it was Bud Black, the manager, asked for an umpire review, which they granted, and they went to look at it. See, I have a problem with that. See, umpire reviews to me when you're out of challenges are like uh, fair foul, check swings, which have been in existence forever, home runs, did it hit over the wall or not? Like, I'm okay with that. But things that fall within the challenge system, and I know they do this in the NBA too. There's like a referee in the last two minutes to look at something. Their desire to get things right is opening up the micro, you know, potentially the micro-inch call. Now, if you notice this year on replay, there's less turnovers and on things that you may think could be turned over because I think the replay booth has been instructed, hey, unless it's clear, Let's not make these umpires look bad. The umpires don't want to have a low success. You know, they don't want their turn, their calls turned over at a higher rate. And the the speed of sound, the bing-bang, the the speed of these players, the strength of these players creates also challenges for the umpires. And it turned out the Mets did not get the call overturn and whatever. But my problem is you just handed Colorado a free challenge. Either build in a ninth inning challenge into the whole thing, if that's what you want. Or don't have these umpire challenges reviewed. Because then it's basically like, what's the point of the challenge system? They could go out and ask for anything. And I mean, the umpires for the most part are going to grant it, right? What are they going to say? No? It just really bothered me. It really bothered me on Friday. It's like, what's the point of the challenge system? So that's my second bugaboo. Third thing, I've been watching Ted Lasso. And I'll wrap up with this. And great show. Not sure if you guys watch it. Great show. Uh, I'm not a, a European soccer fan. I don't know much about football overseas, but uh, it I, the passion of the fans and the culture, and the environment of the experience of the game. And I understand it's one to two times a week. It's not like baseball. It's like the NFL in a lot of ways. You know that's why the NFL is so successful. It's once a week. It's a pilgrimage. It's you know, it's not this day in and day out grind that the baseball is. That to a lesser degree, hockey and the NBA are. But when I see and they've done a great job of recreating the experience in the stadium on Ted Lasso, the soccer uh, scenes, I should say football, I should be accurate. Soccer is the American name for it. The fact that the fans come to the game, they cheer, they chant, they're in unison. Now they can get nasty and they want to fire coaches and tar and feather players like the best of them. We know that we know it could get wild and wacky over in Europe with, with uh, football. That's any country where they have their league. But I feel like watching Ted Lasso, and watching how these fans are so communal about the experience of going to a game, I almost feel like here in American sports, we lose out on that. And you have your seven-line pockets and all this other stuff, But and maybe it's a Mets fan thing. I feel sometimes you go to a Mets game and everybody's waiting to be tortured. They're miserable being there. We've talked about the whole playoff thing, tight as a drum, the lack of a home field advantage because of the uh, negativity or stress of the fan base. Energy in a building is a real thing, guys. It's not voodoo. Trust me. Fans' negative energy impacts the game negatively for the home team, just like positive energy helps bring positive energy to home team. That's why the NBA has a home court advantage. It's no more than that. It's the same basket. It's the same ball the same players. Home and road shows you energy is a big part of sports. So I was just thinking, is there a way to bring some of that component to American sports? I feel like American sports is more disconnected. It's less communal. And it's a random thought. Maybe it's something you want to comment on, but I wanted to put it out there. I thought it was really cool. I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, and maybe that comes with them building the ballpark around City Field where it becomes like this destination for people to hang out. But, and maybe it comes with the Mets. I think if the Mets win a championship, I think things would change around here. Even if they never won another one for another 30, 40 years, I think it would change things like it did in the 80s. I think that's maybe the, and that's a hard thing because those are hard things to do. They're trying, but those are also hard things to do. So anyway, hope everybody enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets here on Memorial Day. Let's get back to the Sunday show next week. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Um, I'm not even going to look at the Mets' schedule right now. I think they're playing in the day. They're not playing at night on Sunday. They're playing Toronto and Philly this week. Big homestand. Um, and like I said, you know, we know who this Mets team is. They're consistently inconsistent. And that's frustrating because I have no idea. The Magic 8 Ball is not telling me where, what this week brings. It could bring a, a winning streak. It could bring a fabulously bad losing streak. It could bring great starting pitching. It could bring great offense. It's not bringing everything in one shot. And that's the markings of a 500 team. We've talked about that, uh, but here's the here's the the good news. We're going to watch baseball. We're going to get some ups and downs. The bad news is we have no ability to understand this team, and we're almost like a passenger in the back of the cab, and the cabbie's bringing us someplace. We just don't know where. We're hoping it's a good place. So, anyway, have a great Memorial Day. Enjoy your barbecues. Enjoy your time off. You can check me out all the time at the Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvatt, Podcast.com. No G, Mike Silvatt, Podcast.com. You can check me out on Instagram, G. And I want to thank the good folks over at the Fan sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com for supporting support of the show. I'm host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast pretty soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Be
3: the best. Be the